You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, podcast listeners. This is Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. We are glad that you have joined us today. I woke up this morning thinking, is it Groundhog's Day? Has that happened to you since we have all been in lockdown or quarantine where you suddenly wake up and you think, I have lived this day 75 days in a row? That's just how it feels today. And it's not that anything is particularly bad. Everyone is healthy. We have food. We have toilet paper. We have Wi-Fi. We have everything you need to live a good and godly life. And it just feels bizarre today. I think when I am done with the podcast. I'm going to reach out to some folks that I haven't talked to for a while just to connect with them. So many times when we feel this way, I'm just speaking from my my own perspective now, when we feel this way, the answer is to be for others what we wish they would be for us. In other words, you wish somebody would call, you wish somebody would text. Uh, Let me let you in on a secret. Phone works both ways. Yeah, you can do that. You can actually dial and you can text and it works both ways. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to break out of the doldrums. I'm going to break the curse of Groundhog's Day over my life and talk to some folks and uh, encourage them and be encouraged. Had a a funny thing happen Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I am teaching uh, a Zoom group and I'll talk about it in just a little bit in in a minute. But, you know, I've had a lot of things happen while I've been teaching or preaching that have been distracting. And part of just doing it is to work through the distractions. Every pastor you know can tell stories of crazy things that have happened during services or while they've been teaching or during weddings or during funerals that happen and you just have to keep going. I was uh, preaching on an Easter Sunday morning one time and a duck walked in, full-on duck. I mean, I mean, nobody in a duck costume, I mean a duck, walked right in the back, straight up to the front where I was preaching. Uh, another time, I was speaking in a hotel uh, ballroom at a church plant. And, you know, you rent a hotel ballroom. They never tell you what's going on in the next room until you get there. You just don't find out. And so we got there, and there was a baseball card show through what they call an air wall, which is mostly air, very little wall. You can hear everything. So as I'm teaching, you can kind of hear people milling around. But about halfway through the sermon, somebody over at the baseball card show cranked up And I mean cranked up, just we couldn't even hear uh, ourselves in our own room. Garth Brooks, I've got friends in low places. And there was no way to tie it into the message. I was just absolutely sunk. But I I don't get rattled very often when I'm speaking, very, very few times when I totally lose it. I think it's because you have a large family. You can't afford to get rattled for every little thing. You can't be reactionary with 10 kids. But Sunday morning... I lost it. I lost it. And this is how I lost it. I lost it subtly. If you were watching, I'm sure you caught it. But it was very, very subtle. This is what happened. I moved. I normally have been doing the teaching from my office. But my office is small and the angle's not right. And so I moved the whole apparatus out into the main room of our our home with the fireplace as a backdrop. It just looks a little bit nicer. And so I'm out there and I've got all the kids occupied before I start. And the kids are doing great. I mean, I don't know what they're doing, but I can't hear them or see them. And that's a win because they're busy and and I can teach. The The one thing I hadn't really counted on was the dog. And so as I am teaching and making points or trying to make points... I notice in the right rear corner of the frame of of my image, 
the dog is sneaking in and out of the room, in and out of the room, in and out of the room. And I notice it a couple of times and I try not to react, but it gets in my head. And so as I'm speaking, I keep thinking, is the dog coming? Is the dog not coming? And if you listen to the audio, you can tell the exact moment when it gets to me. Let me play this for you. It's about 15 seconds, but you listen to see if you can hear when I absolutely lose it. Paul is lighting a fire on a beach and a snake comes out and the dog latches onto him. Did you catch that? Hold on. Let me just back it up again. Let me play it again. Listen very carefully. Paul is lighting a fire on a beach and a snake comes out and the dog latches onto him. <sighs> and the dog latches onto him. Yeah, I lost it. I, I could tell the people in the whole Zoom meeting caught it as well, but life goes on. Good stuff's happening anyway. It was fun. Enjoying very much teaching on Sunday mornings. Uh, we've got this little group together and we started fasting and praying together and then the uh, pandemic hit. And so we just have kind of hung together on Sunday mornings. It's been fun. Now it's kind of branching out on midweek. Steve Hickey, good friend of mine, is teaching from a book of his called The Fall Away Factor about why people walk away from the Lord, uh, which is very interesting. It says a lot about our culture. Um, I'm teaching on Sunday mornings. We're very excited because if it is prudent and legal and safe, all three of those things, if it is prudent and legal and safe, we are going to gather on uh, Pentecost Sunday in real life, like actually face-to-face -face, at a distance, of course, at an outdoor venue in luxurious, peculiar Missouri. Peculiar is not just an adjective there, it's actually a, a location. And so looking forward to it. If you're around and if you're free and you'd like to connect, um, email me for details. and I'll kind of let you know about it as it develops. We should know in a couple of days here if it will be allowed by law. If it is allowed by law, we will go forward. If it's not, we'll just continue to Zoom and go on. Going to talk about adoption a little bit this morning. Um, I have had it on my brain for quite some time to address and I have not on the podcast for a good long while. I, for a long time, had an adoption alert set on my phone. Every time adoption was mentioned in the news, I would get a little alert. And then finally, I realized I was getting about 20 alerts about adoption of pets to every alert about adoption of children. And adoption of pets is great, but, you know, I understand there's a, a pug named Whiskey that has not been adopted for 60 months, but I don't need that news coming to my phone. I just, I'm not interested in that. So I shut the alert off. But I started looking today, and there's some great uh, and hard news about adoption. First, let's start with some of the great news. For the first time in history, Gerber has selected an adopted spokesbaby. You know, every year there's a Gerber baby, and they have a contest. Everybody mails in the picture of their beautiful child, and Gerber somehow picks one. And I'm, you know, not all babies look alike, so I would say you could probably rule out a chunk of them pretty quickly, but there's a lot of cute babies. Boy, did they land on a doll. This one is, she's a one-year-old girl from California named Magnolia Earl, and she is absolutely adorable. The Earl family was awarded $25,000 and other prizes, including baby clothes. And uh, their parents say that, or her parents say, Magnolia has brought so much joy to everyone she meets. Her personality is beyond happy and joyful. And if you see her picture, you can totally understand that. Uh, they actually tell a little bit about the story, about hearing about Magnolia and getting a call from her birth mom and how they met her and just how much they appreciated her birth parents. They're very honoring. It's a beautiful story, beautiful story. whole contest was started in 2010. Uh, before that, they just kind of selected babies. 
there was a contest way back in 1928 for the first Gerber baby, which was found in Fremont, Michigan. And they found that baby because the Connecticut artist named Dorothy Hope submitted a charcoal sketch of her neighbor's four-month-old baby. Can you imagine? It's hard enough looking through 300,000 images. People are sending you charcoal drawings of babies, and then you have to trust them that the baby is that cute when you actually arrange the advertising. The sketch of the cherubic baby with the big round eyes and open mouth endeared judges who picked her to be the winner. Very, very fun. We are kind of tracking along with domestic adoption. As you know, Zoe's house is uh, deeply involved in that. But there's a lot of news right now about international adoption. Now, just to give you the the three basic categories, because when people talk about adoption, they often kind of lump it all together. There is international adoption, which is adopting from another country. There is domestic private adoption, which is what Kelsey and I have been involved in with Zoe's house, and that's what our children were adopted through. That is where a birth mother makes a choice to make an adoption plan, and an agency is kind of uh, in charge with making all that happen and finds a family for that child. There is also a program called Foster to Adopt in every state in the union where children that are in foster care become able to be adopted and they are placed with forever families. Now, those three systems really never connect. They don't at all. And so I, I know a little bit about international adoption. I know most about domestic adoption. And I don't know a ton about foster to adopt. And so sometimes people reach out and they've got questions for us. And I've just got to be honest and say, you know, I don't know. Part of the issue is foster to adopt is radically different from state to state. So even if I did know a lot locally, uh, you know, if you're from Georgia or Washington or California, I just am not going to be any kind of help with that. Interesting story about uh, international adoptions right now is how many are in limbo due to coronavirus. There are so many people who are in the process of international adoption, which is generally longer than domestic or or, uh, involves more trips back and forth to a foreign country. Domestic adoption, usually there aren't those trips involved. A lot of those now are stuck in limbo due to varying rules between the country of origin uh, and the country where the adoptive family lives and just the inability to travel. I was reading an article this morning about David and um, Michaela Parker, who were near the end of a two-year journey to adopt twins from Chad, the country of Chad in Africa, these two little girls. And the American couple was now living in Africa when they got custody of the girls in August of 2018. And the Chadian adoption was finished by the end of that year. Now, they then applied for the U.S. adoption process. Again, it's very complicated. It's, it's different than domestic. Domestic is complicated. International is the Wild West. Well, this January, they got the go-ahead to apply for the girls' adoptions visas, which would allow them to travel to the U.S. as a family. And David, the father, said, you know, it feels like the light's at the end of the tunnel. We feel like maybe we're going to get to go home now. But in February... When they arrived in Cameroon, which is the regional hub for Africa for these visas, U.S. immigration officials told them they need to provide more evidence before applying. So they start pulling together all of the materials to prove they've done what they've done. And in the middle of getting their paperwork together, the COVID-19 pandemic struck. And now they're at a standstill. Borders are closed. Travel's restricted. They can't complete what the U.S. has asked them to complete. And they can't return safely to their home in North Carolina because 
while they are U.S. citizens and their infant son is a U.S. citizen, the two daughters, now 23 months old, are not. And in order to return home, they would have to abandon their daughters, obviously something they are not willing to do. This kind of thing's happening all over the world with this pandemic. You know, we think this just affects us, but there are people in the most complicated situations. If you take a moment this week, pray for families that are in the middle of international adoption. How many families have I talked to that said, I saw a picture and instantly I was in love. I'd never even hold, held that children in my arms yet, but I knew they were mine. Some of them have made trips to these countries to visit these children, have come home getting ready to make their next trip to go pick them up, and now they can't. This has got to be tough. International adoptions pretty much at a complete standstill. Now, domestic adoptions are not. I can tell you this. At Zoe's house, uh, they are getting calls constantly, and the process is still going on. They're doing it a little differently. Uh, court appointments are primarily done uh, via video chat. Um, a lot of care of birth moms is done a little bit differently, but domestic adoption still going full speed. Zoe's house posted a photo over the weekend that was just so cool over Mother's Day. And it was one of the Zoe's house families posting a picture. And in the picture, you see a little boy and a, a young woman on either side. Now, when you read the caption, you begin to understand what you're looking at. The caption says, what do you see in this picture? I see family. Deacon, who's a little boy, will forever have two mommies. And guess what? He needs us both. We each give him different things. Both roles are valuable. Open adoption isn't what I pictured. It's better. Deacon is better for it. I am better for it. Our lives were forever changed when we met her. Happy birth mother's day. I cannot imagine life without you. How great is that? You know, most people, when they think about adoption, they've got a couple of fears. I know we did. Uh, we were afraid of two things. One was finances, how we were going to raise the finances to do this. And that was, that was a big deal. But I think even more so than that, I was concerned that once we adopted, that there would be an overwhelming amount of birth parent involvement and that, that it would never really feel like it was a done deal. And because of that, we initially thought we wanted a closed adoption. We wanted an adoption where it's basically everything's on paper, you never meet one another, and you go your own ways. Most adoptive families come to the table thinking this way. That's what they want. What we have learned in doing adoption over the years is that's not always the best thing. That some sort of open adoption is generally better for all parties concerned. Now, most families come saying they want a closed adoption. Most birth mothers come saying they want an open adoption. But when they start talking with one another, there's a middle ground for most of them where they realize they're really happy with the same thing. You say, why is it better? Why would it be better? Wouldn't it be confusing? Let me tell you why it's better for a birth mom, for a child, and even for adoptive parents. Open adoption gives a birth mom an element of peace of mind that she made the right choice. Closed adoption, she never really knows what happened to her child. Our friend Jason Upton tells his adoption story. It's incredibly moving. His adoption was closed, and he did not meet his birth mom until I believe he was in his late 20s. And when he finally reached out to her, she expressed the angst and the anxiety that she had her entire life. She said, I didn't know if you were dead or alive. 
She didn't want to mess with his life. She didn't want to intrude on her, the adoptive parents. She just wanted to know that she'd made the right decision. Open adoption, it's good for a birth mom. It actually helps her understand that what she did was good for everybody. It's also good for the child. Now, I understand as an adoptive parent, it's easy to say, but, but they're our child. Yes, they are your child. My adopted kids are no different than my biological kids in my heart. They are mine, but I can't pretend that there was nobody else involved. Everybody wonders where they came from biologically. And you can't dismiss that question by your adopted children. You can't dismiss something that somebody else wonders if it's something that you have always had knowledge of. If you weren't adopted, you always know your story of origin. But adopted kids don't always have that. Now, our adoptions, just speaking personally, the first one was closed because that's what uh, the birth mother wanted. The rest of them were somewhat open. There was some exchange of information and exchange of stories. And I'm here to tell you, it's good for your children to be able to hear their stories. Now, their stories are hard, and we don't tell the entire story right now. We'll tell them when they get older. But there are beautiful parts of their stories that we are able to share. It's not just good for the birth parent. It's good for the child to know where they've come from. It's also, and I can say this now after a few years down the road, it is good for adoptive parents. There are things that we know about our children that we had semi-open adoptions with that we don't know about those with closed adoptions. There are questions that I wish I had answers to that I'll never have. Things about medical history. Uh, things about what is biological, what is nature, what is nurture. You know, We see things in our younger kids that we have an open adoption with uh, that I recognize from their birth family, and I love it. I can call it out. We point it out. We don't have that with our ones that are a closed adoption. So there's definite benefits to the idea of having an open adoption. If you're thinking about adoption, let me just encourage you, thinking, think about it openly. Now, it may not be what the birth mother ultimately wants, but at some level, most want some connection. And there's a way to do it, to keep privacy, to keep safety, but to also give your kids the gift of a full identity. It's a beautiful thing. And who knows, you may end up like this adoptive mom who wrote over the weekend, I'm better for it. Our lives were changed forever when we met her. I cannot imagine life without you. Honor the birth moms. I want to close up with some thoughts from Psalm 2. I've been reading the last couple of days Psalm 1 and 2 over and over again. And Psalm 2 is not all that long, 12 verses. I would encourage you to take your Bible out and read it when you get a chance. It is written about the battle raging against the Lord and His anointed. Now, who is His anointed? That's not about us. It's talking about God and Jesus. And this chapter describes the battle of the ages raging against sonship or Jesus' relationship with God. If the power of evil can separate the relationship of the Godhead, the whole narrative of God falls apart because God is about family. And if the battle of evil can rage against the relationship between Jesus and God and develop a rift there, 
it changes everything. Without the Father and the Son and ultimately the Spirit, there's no redemption, there's no empowerment of humanity, there's ultimately no knowing God ourselves. And in Psalm 2, it talks about those battling against God saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It's saying, let us break away from God because they, they hold us bound. The wrong thought here is that God brings bondage. God brings freedom from bondage. They're literally fighting freedom as they attack the relationship between God and Jesus. Now, as you read it a little further, verses 4 through 6, you realize that God is settled in His love for Jesus and in agreement with Jesus' desires for mankind. Because of that, get this, because God and Jesus' relationship is intact, you have value. You have value. As they're attacking this relationship between God and Jesus, this is how God responds. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds him in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He said, No, no, no. This is settled in my heart. Jesus is on the throne and he will have his kingdom. Say, so what does that have to do with me? Because as Jesus goes on, he makes you a co-heir with him. And because Jesus and God are in good standing together, you and Jesus are in good standing together. Romans 8 tells us, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Adoption is beautiful, but there is nothing like the adoption of a human being by God Almighty. And so clearly, he points it out in Psalm 2, he is so committed to family. He is so committed to making a unit of people just like he is a unit with his son. Hope you have a great week. I hope you draw near to your biological family, the people the Lord has set you around maybe. If you have family other than what people would normally think of as biological family, it's good to connect. We are not alone. We're co-heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters with one another. Have a great day. Stop this.